right, here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of DTI YDK. Don't talk if you don't know. The podcast dedicated to analyzing, dissecting, and unofficially, officially ranking TFT's finest in North America. My name is Frodand. I am joined by Bryce. And this week, we have a different episode. Usually when we have DTI YDK, we have a tournament coming up. We have special guests. We get to really interview and know them. Uh, but this time around, Bryce, we're actually doing a review show to reflect upon a uh, tournament that just happened. Before we go too deep into that, let's check in on how your week has been. You know, we only get to hear about Bryce outside of TFT. So how's the past uh, you know, week and a half, two weeks been for you? It's been good. It was crazy. Last week was really hard getting ready for the event, but I, I, re I hadn't casted... Well, I casted Twitch Rivals, but I hadn't casted like a part of the, the world circuit since regionals because I didn't get an invite to do world. So I really wanted to crush it. It was also our first time casting together since regionals. So I I like got prepared for the Astral Cup, which felt good actually to be really like I felt like we were both really prepared for that. And I think the event was super fun. I had an absolute blast casting it. So I'm super exhausted because when I cast for a weekend, it's like no downtime. I like wake up parent <laughs> until cast until call time. And then I cast. And for those of you who've never done it before, casting is low-key kind of exhausting. But It's, it's pretty I, exhausting yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you have 40-minute long game breaks between games. Oh. At one point, that was a max time. I think it was like 30-something minutes where it was just <laughs> yeah. absolutely brutal. Um, part of it is that Wisdom had moved to a new studio. It's good, yeah. But also part of it was I physically changed my desk so it could be a standing desk. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, right. This weekend, I have a standing desk. I'm going to get all my energy back. You know, it's the first time I've cast a TFT in quite some time. I felt a little rusty because it's been months. And so I was like ready. And then I was just standing for hours upon hours. It took me back to when I used to work at retail, like Target or Circus City Electronics stores. And I hated that. That's why I actually decided yep. to stop doing that kind of stuff. And, and, and I see your seat, you're sitting down again. So does that mean it was a short-lived experiment? Or what's the situation? No, no I mean, I, I could change it right now if you'd like. Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 you're good. I can stand up. Just want to see more of you. you just want to see no, more stay, of my upper body. stay stay relaxed, Dan. Yeah, just <laughs> just low. It's a low key podcast. We don't need to be That's standing. Right. We have no guests to impress. Not yet, at least. Uh, maybe we'll have, pull on guests for review shows. I think that you know this is our, this is a pilot of a new format we're going to be trying, and we promised that at the at the conception of this format we were going to say, you know what, it's just going to be me and Bryce exactly like this: two people talking, and it's going to be like an hour. And we'll just talk about all the fun storylines, no assets. And as we started building it out, we decided to build a bunch of assets, and that's just the way it works. I guess we're just tryhards through and through. So the first thing that yeah. we're going to be talking about is the Astral Cup recap with myself and Bryce. And so let's show what happened, starting from day three. So day three introduced a new format in Astral Cup and competitive TFT for North America, which was point rollover. So how you did on day three, which was a continuation of the first week, which is open qualifiers, uh, it was the top 32 ladder plus the top 32 performers from the previous week. And if you were able to place in the top four, you got three extra points going to the next day. If you were the top eight, you would get two points and then one point for the top 12. And this actually started sparking a lot of controversy in terms of the players saying it felt like the point thrusters were too high or too low. And it was just kind of like discussed back and forth and debated. And poor Natures was kind of being yanked back and forth, uh, being tagged everywhere. How did the day three point rollover uh, feel to you, Bryce? I loved it. 
I I think it is a relatively small advantage in the grand scheme of things, unless you're getting like three points. But if you got three points, you kind of earned it. And the reality of TFT tournaments is that no matter what, we have this debate all the time, the ladder versus attorney thing, it's going to be pretty high variance when you play six games. So at least there is some small rollover of impact based on your six games from the previous day. So I think it was a, a, a very welcome change to the format, and I personally would be in favor of this literally every tournament. Yeah, and I think it gives something to play for even down to the last game, right? You see how Milk missed out on tiebreakers, which is going to be important for the next thing we show. But Milk missed out on top four by one point, therefore it only gets two instead of three. And then, as you saw for the top eight cutoff on the final day from 32 down to eight players, which is another controversial point. We'll get that in a second. Milk missed that also by one point. Uh, and so he lost on two tiebreakers back to back. And I know that's part, that's brutal, but if I can just throw my opinion in here first, Bryce, is it's a tournament. Uh, I know that the goal of tournament is always to reward the consistent and the best players as possible without introducing too high of a sample size. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like if you look at games of variance, Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, or, or you know, even just sports, it doesn't feel like you get that many chances to prove yourself, even if you are the better team or the better player. So I think, in my opinion, it feels super bad for the player, but as the viewer, as the caster, it was really exciting to see where the elite cut off for that top eight was. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, the line has to be drawn somewhere. And as brutal as this was for Milk to get double tiebreakered in a sense, I mean, look, we had multiple people tiebreakered out of World's final day. Now it's, it can get really brutal, and it just kind of is what it is. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah, so I, I think that they're going to play around with it. Obviously, I think that in my—you know, it's— I'm such a big fan of the players, and I'm friends with a lot of the people that actually got screwed by tiebreakers, you know, Goobums, Milk, all these people that I felt like were worthy. They played well enough, right? Because the argument is, what about the weekend's average placement? I think Milk and Goobums had two of the top three highest AVP all weekend, and they missed it on tiebreakers. That feels really bad. Is there a way we can make it instead of 32 to 8, maybe 24 to 8? I don't know the exact numbers, but I like the idea of what we have, and I want to build upon it. You could have even done AVP for the for the cutoff, right? What if what if at, instead of taking the top eight players, we took the top seven and then highest AVP, right? Yeah. So that it wasn't so that you weren't as likely to wind up at a tiebreaker. Then you could still it could still happen. I mean, you could talk me into top six and then the next highest AVP. Like there's a bunch of different ways you could theoretically do it. Although, how is AVP on the one to eight point format? How can AVP possibly be better? Isn't points just AVP? I mean, Milks was the best over the course of multiple days, but his AVP that day would have been the same, I guess. Well, I, I think it's because of that yeah. extra point yeah. gap that helps widen a little bit of people's average placement versus not. But again, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the whole point. Like, I, I've casted so many Hearthstone Masters tours, and for people who don't know, Masters tours are like 200, 200 300 players, and they cut to the top 16. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, it's just, it's so brutal. You have to have like an 80% win rate or better on average in order to advance to the playoffs. That's just part of what it is. And and I think what it, it could be the fact that we're just not used to it. Maybe people can view it as like playing for top eight is just bonus and extra, and you're really just focusing on those five games. Either way, I think uh, Wisdom and Giants are clearly trying to improve. And also, the administration part of it was very weak relative to where they used to be, right? They know there's a lot of delays. They know that there's a lot of problems with players just feeling like it was seven hour tournament for six games it's not worth it they're going to continue to improve that as the first weekend in their studio 
So. Yeah, there's a lot of kinks to iron out when you're in a new physical location from a broadcast perspective. So it was, I mean, just the improvement from from day three to day four was dramatic, right? It was day four felt really good overall. So um, I'm not stressed about it long term. And it's a good thing for the scene overall for them to have a studio and it's going to enable them to do a lot of things. Can we also agree that overall this was a change in the right direction? Everyone complained about the open field formats last set not having a real winner. It felt This felt tournament felt great, even though cutting off 32 to 8 feels rough. It's what they had to do in order to, like, narrow the field reasonably and then get to a final two games, and it was super hype. Game 6 and 7 were so fun. Yeah, and there's still objects to play for, right? Sox, Lucan, and Asa all kind of in that mix, but also, like, could theoretically Nubaubert, Pakigam make that comeback to top four and get that spot um, for mid-set, right, as opposed to just playing for a Jade Cup spot? I think these are all, like, things that they could play for. So they clearly have designed improvements to the Astral Cup and Open Cup formats uh, we'll see how J-Cup rolls around. And so that brings us to the second part of what we talked about Astro Cup, which is who was more right, myself or Bryce? I decided to put up our predictions. Bryce decided to go on Twitter. I go on Reddit, probably our two social medias that we consume the most here. And so Bryce decided to go on the record by putting his top 10, a.k.a. his top 14, because he put out a bunch of wild cards to hedge his bets. <laughs> so why don't, you, why don't you just start there? The wild cards, you put Solus... Or so you put five wild cards. I just realized because Saint at the end. So you put Souls and Dubao, which I think not many people would you know disagree with whatsoever. These are per- people who have performed, unless you're Goobums, right? If you're Goobums and you're like, why is Souls even typed mentioned here? He does not even belong on this list. But these are two players who have proven themselves. What about Darth Noob, Garrett, and Saint? Like, why'd you call them out? So Darth Noob and Garrett are two players that have been doing really well in ladder basically the entire set. And had profiles that suggested to me that they had a good beat on what I thought the tournament meta was likely to be. A lot of a lot of my thoughts going into Astral Cup is that I think many people misunderstood the meta and many people felt like the meta was I mean, look, it was not the best meta in the world, no doubt about it. But people were talking about it like it was war week when it was not war week. There was actually a lot more flexibility to gameplay than I think people were giving it credit for. And so I was indexing more highly to people who I thought were gonna be approaching it that way. So that's why they, they made it, and I think Saint had a very similar beat. I think Saint, he his fundamentals aren't that good. He's a little slow. His position's a little <laughs> bit predictable, but his ideas wow. are really good. And when he has a uh, good beat on things, he has consistently performed really well in tournaments when he is when he has a good beat on things. And I thought that he did. And I, I mean, he played well in this event, right? He made day four. He was he did okay on day four, um, right? And so it was really not a bad showing from Saint whatsoever. He's three points. You know, he says he's in 17th, but he's three points short of the tie that got into the top eight. So I think I think that pick actually wound up panning out well. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you definitely made a couple of really interesting choices in the wildcard stuff. But overall, like, I think our lists were really good. We both got uh, Goobums performing pretty well. I'm just wondering if your top socks won the event. Bert uh, made a deep run getting to the top eight as well as Pocky. Setsuko is a player that... We're not actually going to do the performance ratings are because we don't actually have access to his VODs. What happened to Seksuko from your perspective? He had so much hype. He was ranked one in our power rankings, tied with Sox. He was ranked one in the leaderboards going into it for so long. Is this, you know, he, he tweeted after his elimination saying like, ah, the worst part is it just feels like all the doubters and haters have more ammo. Do the haters actually have credibility, Bryce? Or do you think Setsuko is just getting unlucky and it's just tournament variance. I don't think 
It's just tournament variants. So obviously we did not get to study these games because he did not upload the VOD. And so it's really hard to say exactly what happened, right? And he wasn't on broadcast that much. But the one, like one of the only moments I remember him being on broadcast was when he got a random Rage Wing emblem at the end of the game and he just oh, slapped yeah. it on his Orn. And I was just, I was kind of flabbergasted because it was such an unforced error. I mean, it, it is putting an, a, a Rage Wing emblem on an Orn has fight swinging implications. You turn it from a unit, it was Orn 1 at the time, and it was probably going to cast in like 50% of fights, and you basically turned it from a unit that was going to cast 50% of fights to a unit that was going to cast in 0%, and Orn ulti can absolutely swing fights. So it was just a, a unbelievable mental error. Um and so I don't know. It was just a it was just a weird move from him, and and the and the results were not that good. I've mentioned this multiple times in the past, but like, look, if Setsuko is not making it to day four of this event, he, there's no way he's playing in peak form, not even close. Because I've seen him play on ladder, and these lobbies were basically ladder. And if he was playing as he is capable of playing, then for sure he is capable of making day two. In fact, he's supposed to make day two like every time. Yeah, well, chat's saying, Solus and, and Beth, one of them, are saying, like, oh, he had best friends. Maybe that's okay, right? Getting the attack speed. So the extra attack speed from Rage Wing plus best friends, maybe. I think the whole point that Bryce is trying to make specifically is that it just didn't look like, from the small glimpses that we got, whether or not Setsuka was in that peak form. There's also been uh, stories where Setsuka's streaming a lot going into the event. Maybe he's not completely in mental condition like proper mental conditioning right soju has the same problem stream 20 hours before the tournament and say okay it's too free i feel like i'm perfect and then they have to sit for 45 minutes after they take like a unfortunate seventh or something and, and that just sits there right so I, I don't know exactly the context behind it i really wish we had the vods to study because we went back and watched a yeah. lot of vods on top of casting the entire weekend uh all i'm gonna say is right now i feel a little hesitant to rank Setsuko a little bit higher next time it comes around until you know, maybe it actually benefits him um, because mm -hmm. until he proves himself, I think there's just like this monkey on his back. And, and it's really interesting with comp, like competitor psychology, right? It might it might just take one good event at high stakes for Setsuko because he's definitely done well. Right? He's won Challenger Series. Mm -hmm. He's done well in other smaller events. But if he just does have that one huge hallmark performance, maybe it can just lift off everything that he puts pressure on himself. So clearly, it does get to him to a point where he's tweeting about it. Maybe he needs to play in some of these open bracket things right like there's a, a thing in basketball where people talk about you know if a, if a score is having a bad night get them an opportunity to get to the free throw line they get to see the ball go through the hoop and all of a sudden it snowballs from there it happens right, all right. the time like maybe he just needs to do that maybe he just needs to go and like style on slightly easier tournaments and build up that tournament confidence because it it's clear that that is lacking on some level. Well, Iniko says he is the monkey. You know, one thing that I can appreciate is that Setsuko has been putting out the content. I feel like I'm getting to know him more as a competitor, as a person. Also, it feels like he does have a good group of friends to support him. And I think that's really huge. A, a big part of TFT right now feels like, you know, unironically, the friends you make along the way, you, you, having a good group to practice with or people to talk with or even just to vent all your tilt and frustrations towards is huge so we'll see uh as you know iniko and socks were talking about it um i like this actually socks in chat says that he had to play a lot of mm -hmm. giant slayer fight nights to even become confident to play in tournaments and i think everyone has a similar story of like when that tournament mindset can really click for them 
I think Sasuke can get there. And he's also really young. I think another thing people forget is that a lot of these mm-hmm. people that compete, they, they even start when they're teenagers, right? So it's like hard because a lot of expectations and pressure can make that fragile mindset. So I, I look forward to it. We won't spend too much more time because we have to get to the main meat. One of the main segments we're going to be doing further review shows is performance ratings. This is actually something I'm really excited about because uh, I, I think that it has a lot of source for debate. Um, so without further ado, we're going to showcase our ratings. And what this is, is it's just an impression of Bryce and myself ranking the players. We scored from one to 10 on how well they think they did relative to the field. And so if your name is on this list, that's a good thing. We took the top eight performers based off the scores of the final day, plus eight players that we thought were noteworthy for highlighting. So I'm, I know what people are going to say. Talk about Wi-Fi, you gave him a six. Oh, that's just, aren't you flaming him? You know, that's kind of rude. The fact that they're on the list and other people are not is already showing uh, that it's a player to keep an eye on. So we want to make that as a distinction before we get too much further. Uh, but that being said... I think it's really fascinating to see uh, where a lot of these ranks So Where do you want to start the conversation, Bryce? You want to start at the top, the bottom, the middle? You pick. Just, I, I think if we're going to start at one side, we start at the bottom and work our way up, personally. Okay. Um, okay. But I'm down if you want to just go in random order. We probably don't have to do everyone, right? So I'll defer to you. We can do quick, we can do quick beats if we feel like it's not wor- super wor- uh, noteworthy. So let's start off with Taco Bell Wi-Fi. And by the way, just as a, a one little caveat I forgot to say, the reason why we left 17 to 24 open is because we're going to be adding more lists or names to the list. So as more tournaments come up, we're going to add more performances, show a little heat map. And then at the end of the set, we get to show all the performance ratings, maybe even get a little bit of contrast to the uh, the power rankings. I think it's going to be really fun. And, and um, just to frame it up really fast going in, Dan, because people, Sox is like, what is this based on? It looks arbitrary. It kind of is on some level, right? These totally are like arbitrary. gut check impressions of the of the tournament the dan and i watched obviously we casted half the games the game, half the games where we weren't casting we watched we would each of us would multi twitch and have four player streams up at once one from each lobby um and on the on day three and then just four players on day four and then we vod reviewed a bunch between uh, between dan and i all 16 of these players we vod reviewed at least three games of each of them uh so it's not it's not anywhere near perfect but there's some bat basis for it yeah, and it's not that everyone else, I see asked people in chat, is everyone else have a zero? No, it's just Bryce and I are two humans with jobs and families. It's just a little bit hard. We, th- these are people we've watched. Like our My rule was I need to have at least watched three people of three games from this player in order to feel like I have a general read on how they were playing that week. And even though they played, you know, 12 games, I, I definitely have watched more than three for most of this, but that was a minimum requirement. And that, that's just so hard when you have 32, 64 players to cover. So our idea was just continue to gather data and see how it goes. And if it if it goes well, we'll add more people to watch more VODs, contribute more towards this. Because I think it's just a fun conversation starter. Anyways, Taco Bell Wi-Fi at 6. Bryce, you already said a lot on Ramblin' Stream that it wasn't really about Taco Bell's gameplay as in more so that you felt like he was just kind of sticking to a game plan and everything was just falling into place so nothing was particularly impressive, but it seemed like he executed relatively well upon his main strategy. Yeah, his main strategy was Siphon. He played Bruiser opening almost every game. The games where he hit Siphon, he clearly knew how to play it around it. The games where he didn't hit Siphon, there were times when it looked okay, and then there were times where he looked completely lost. So it was a relatively narrow approach to the patch that found success on day three when he was when he was hitting 
and that's why he did so well. And then he didn't hit as much, and he got forced out of comfort zone on day four. It wasn't that it was bad. I didn't, like, see a ton of unforced errors in his play. I just didn't see a lot that got me really excited about it. So I think he was clearly better than your average player in the field, probably by a decent margin. But it wasn't like, okay, yeah, I think this guy, if you run this tournament back 10 times, is going to day four, like, every time and is going to mm-hmm. all constantly be in competition. Okay. Yes, I, I agree. And also, I just want to cut off Bubons right here. 8.5 isn't bad. We're saying be bad. performance what? relative to the field. The average is a 5.5 on a scale of 1 to 10. So you're, we're already Bubons, You're literally people... tied for third, and you're, you're... <laughs> you're saying they raise you low? Hello? I, I think that... Okay, and, and, and I think Goobums would probably be say the reason why he feels like that is because there's only one spot that he thinks he could have played better or something along those lines. We'll get to it, maybe. Maybe You know what? Maybe we just skip Goobums just to torture him a little bit further. Let's talk about Dace. And the reason why we brought up Dace and Taco Wi-Fi is going into day number four, they were two of the top three players in the scores. And then, you know, in day number four, it just felt like they were players to focus on. So Bryce and I already had them. Uh, you've watched Dace a little bit more than I have. What was your general read of Dace this weekend? I watched his first four games of day four. And he played really fast tempo in a meta where I think not that many people were playing that way. It was ba- full Bebe-esque. We're talking level to six on 2-5, level to seven with zero gold on 3-2 kind of vibes. Not ever again, but when he when he was win streaking, uh, slamming items at all cost, like really, really pushing the pace of the game. And... Uh, there were moments that what he did impressed me and he took interesting lines or had interesting reads and there were times when it felt like he yeah times when he felt like milk could have made a, a tiktok about him totally justifiably. <laughs> and we're gonna look at one of those spots later today so he had some high highs and some low lows from my perspective oh i see the baby if you like baby memes just wait till our our next segment you're, you're gonna love it Kurum. Let's talk a little bit about Kurum. So Kurum was a player that I think we had a lot of uh, high hopes for, but medium expectation. I think for the most part, it does seem like Kurum is still a very, he's a very good ladder player for sure. No doubt. He's still climbing. Um, And going into tournament, he still seems relatively consistent. It just didn't feel like Kurum had the goods in the weekend, right? Like there's moments where he was stumbling, right? The, the, the shimmer scale game comes to a moment where like he was on broadcast everyone's like watching him have 90 gold or sorry level 9 115 gold like by all means he was like win streaking by all means it felt like he should have closed the game out and somehow socks pulled it back socks played out of his mind that game he was doing a guild emblem siphon pivot he was trying to play zaya i believe or some other board that wasn't related to it found siphon decided to build an entire guild vertical guild around that siphon and somehow navigated a win over kurum's like nine shimmer scale completely capboard but yet kurum did throw and i think that's just a small and again it's not because of that one incident that we rate him lower it's just like that was an example of how he wasn't dialed in to, to or rather locked in to make sure that he had all his corners covered for the entire weekend and a couple of spots where he just looked lost right Kerm has a lot of criticisms of not learning how to play from behind and there's a lot of situations where when the game he's doing well he gets second and the next game he goes eighth because he just really didn't really get anything going and then the next game second everything goes really well according to game plan next game eighth again and it was just like it just felt really brutal i remember one game Kerm had double trouble and he actually played no duplicate copies of units yeah. on the board. He was trying so hard to find like another Siphon. He was stuck on Siphon 1. He didn't play the traditional double to treble Varus line. 
it just felt like overall he was struggling to get things done and some of the ideas were there but the execution was not do you think i'm being fair like wrapping up uh, kerm's weekend here yeah, I think you're being super fair. You watched a lot more of Kerm than I did because when we were doing our multi-Twitch, you picked him a couple of times, and so I wasn't watching him. Um, I didn't get a chance to do a VOD review for Kerm, but my impressions of his play was exactly what you said. When he was when it was in, it was in, he played well, and then he was he felt like he was kind of wandering a little bit. I don't think he thinks he played well. I mean, listening to him after the event, he did not like sing his own praises at all. He was like, yeah, I sucked this event. Even the day before, day of, I was in uh discord with Kurum, who was it was Kurum, robin and nico and Newbow, maybe i think and i was like yo i'm doing my ranking should i pick any of you and they were all like no no, no, no don't pick me i'm not good right now okay okay speaking of uh good or not good a player that's always in the center of discussion of this is soju he's up there right like tied at Kurum. and again i think i want to point out that bryce and i ranked them separately and then we combined it so sometimes it might be like Bryce gave him an eight, I gave a six, and then it's like a seven at average. So it's a combination of our scores. So it just says that he felt like he played pretty well. And at the same time, he felt like he could have done better. But, you know, overall, it's like whatever. He was going fourth and fifth all weekend long. Like his average was like a 4.5 for the most part all throughout the weekend. Uh, and Soju obviously is the most popular player in North America. So how, how did you view his weekend overall? Do you think it was like an overall success? fine i think he mid-rolled and played okay for him right like i i he's very good relative to the field and and when he's dialed in he's capable of being up with the top but he i don't think he put on that kind of performance this weekend i don't think he had it going in either for what it's worth i think that he kind of had it like three days before when the patch was played very narrowly and he was turbo climbing basically just flexing soy siphon with some guild zaya thrown in because he knows all those lines really well but by the time we got to the tournament the patch had opened up considerably there were a number of other broken lines that people had figured out and were playing around in some capacity right uh corky was definitely really strong on this patch and soju was basically playing no corky they you know varus was really good so just basically playing no varus there's a bunch of different lines that i think uh he didn't really have in his pocket um for for this tournament he did not get a lot of the crazy augments to start things off right he didn't have like double trouble starts very often but yeah i think he did okay and i think that's ultimately why we gave him that seven because he didn't do anything particularly outstanding he didn't do anything quite poor and i think that's still worth recognizing relative to where people expect him there's like a large part of the na fan base that just seems like they under they they think that soju is incapable of getting out of day one of tournaments for some reason which is just not true actually Soju has had some pretty good performances soju kind of has that same problem as if you guys can remember Crowen back in the day. Crowen would compete all the time, get to the top eight, but never actually win tournaments, but always would kind of get to that final stage of competition. So just kind of that same way. Like he, he, he often would get to like the final day of competition, but either like go eighth or, or flame out or like barely miss the cutoff there. Um, I don't know if necessarily this is something indicative of Soju's play style or whatnot, but I just feel like the more I watch Soju in tournament, the more I feel like he's actually a top four player in general, which is quite a sharp contrast to his first race mentality on ladder. It's so fascinating. But I need, I need a little bit more evidence and data before I can say that confidently. I'm just thinking out loud right now, just my early musings, which is really fascinating considering his reputation as, you know, a go big or go home, risky for the biscuit. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Appies uh, and Dish Sub. I think we can talk about them in tandem. I think they had a lot of expectations going in. Happy's was sick 
and wasn't actually expected to do really well even by his own measure. But I like a lot of the creative lines. Once more, Appy's decided to play a very flex open playstyle. His playstyle was oriented around um, tempo early through assassins and high value two costs, right? He wanted to play around Shen. He wanted to play around Kiana. He wanted to play around uh, Braum. Braum Thresh. Braum Thresh, like high efficiency units that you don't have to sell and they're still going to be serviceable if you find like a one star four cost, for example, to slot in. Um, and, and then use that to flex into Deja or Talon or like Zai, like all these different kinds of things to play. I think it worked out okay, um, but I love the idea, and I think that's what gave him like a little half point buff because I think his creativity and his game plan sounded good in theory, even if it didn't exactly result in like a, a series of insane finishes. Yeah, if memory serves, you rounded him. We rounded him up. Like I think you gave him a seven point five, and I gave him a seven, or maybe you gave him an eight, and I gave him a seven. I don't think this was Appy's best best tournament. He, I don't think he was feeling in peak shape, and I also think it was not a creative patch. We talked about the patch widening, and there were a lot of other broken lines, but you don't want to. You didn't want to deviate from those broken lines. This was not a time in general to get super creative and. He just couldn't help himself a couple of games. I mean, there yeah. was one game where he got onto a mage's line, and you and I were watching, and we were like, I mean, this is just an eighth. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's basically just no way that you can, even, as much as it feels it so like bad. that's where the game is taking him, I promise you, you know, Appy's, this is not the path you want to go down, but he can't help himself sometimes. I think if the stakes were bigger, he might have been able to, but given his mental condition and, you know, that the state of the patch, he did pretty darn well considering. Sure, sure. Actually, with that, let's just—I just want to talk a little bit about Lucan as well. Lucan did play mages, like on the last day, as far as that was the most majority of what I watched was almost exclusively mages, which also resulted in almost winning the tournament. Now, the reason now, now that's already worth commendation. I think a lot of people would say like, "Hey, you know, that's already impressive. Why isn't it higher?" I watched the vods, and I just have to say, this man gets what he wants every time. It's like. He, 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 if he's opening mages, it's Luden's Echo or Meditation every time. <laughs> if, if he picked Recombobulator on 3-2 and hit an yeah. Itis 2 and at 4-5, 4-5 had a Spat, Shimmer Heart, and 9 Shimmer Scale. At 4-5 had all this stuff. So it's like, at, at the, I, I, I can't give like max points to somebody that high rolled that hard. But yeah. I will say that I'm much more likely to give Lucan a better score moving forward if he's able to repeat that because he did take an un, uh, a line that wasn't very contested whatsoever and that already has caught my attention and I think that it's really cool to see a player be able to be rewarded for going a different way I agree with everything you just said I think that the shimmer scale Hyrule was like even more illegal than Dan is describing. Like it's actually in, he hits the Zoe right away. He hits yeah. he hits freaking it was it was so disgusting this game. He winds up getting Zoe three, which is like it's what should have happened in the Kurum game. It's like you know if Kurum had played it out solidly, then he just raffle stomps the lobby right and it's exactly what lucan did so it's like he capitalized on it well then the next game he opens rod he gets a good he gets a good augment and he gets a full sunfire drop right he just gets right, belt right. armor right it should like that so and this is why you watch the games like and at the start of this Nico was like shouldn't lucan be higher and i'm like honestly man i think i had him at a seven i i, I did i'm happy for him i think it was a really fun tft moment i think it was cool to see someone off meta but if you watch the games, I don't think that this is uh, – it was not crazy impressive to me. This was this was a man who took an offbeat line that could have <laughs> easily flamed out in this tournament if he had not high-rolled from my perspective. Yep, yep. 
Uh, so Dish Soap, a player that I hype up a lot. I think, you know, I, I just think very highly of people that can be as consistent on ladder as player like as Dish Soap and Setsuko can be. Um, I looked at some of Dish Soap's spots. Pretty tough. I think that Dish Soap uh, wasn't getting as easy stage twos and threes as he's used to. Um, you know, and when he, you know, when he's typing in chat between games, I saw him like saying like, look, I think I might have maybe could have played stage three better, but overall it feels like players like Dish Soap just wasn't able to put on that impressive early game that you see him in ladder. Whenever I watch Dish Soap play ladder, this dude always has a hundred HP going to three, five. It just feels or like a 98 HP in streaking. Uh, I just didn't feel like that was happening. And it could be a combination of the items and, and his boards weren't really coming together because he didn't really want to roll that much. And even when he did roll, he wasn't really getting exactly what he needed, right? He had like a Rebel Crown opener. It took forever for him to get like that Deja yep. online and as a result flamed out. That kind of stuff happens. So, you know, that, I, I still think ultimately Dish Soap played solidly but was not firmly rewarded on day four. But his day three was very solid and it resulted in him having a high finish and was able to get those extra bonus points. So I think that's worth uh, also recognizing as well. I agree. I gave, I think I gave him an eight. I think I'm slightly higher than you. I really actually overall found his performance to be impressive. I think he was on the mid to low rule side of things. The only game that I think he fucked up was the was the rebel game you were talking about i disagree yeah. with like multiple of, dis of his decisions during it. i actually disagree with it so much that i messaged him afterwards i was like curious like hey do you remember this game oh, really what'd you, you, never told the, me this. what'd you think yeah well i was like what did you think of the line i'm kind of curious and he was like his immediate response was I, oh i haven't really played much of that line so i, I wasn't really okay. sure and i was like did you think about this versus this or this versus this and so we had a nice little chat about it I really like Dish Soap. I think he played a good, a, a very solid tournament. And if mm -hmm. things had gone a little bit more his way, he could have been competing for the top eight uh, or even top one. Nah, not probably not top one. I don't think he's playing quite that clean, but he's he's really good, and I'm excited to watch him play more tourneys. Let's talk about Solus. Okay, this man might be a seven point five because some people rate him a ten, and some people rate him a five. He is that polarizing. <laughs> That was not the case with myself and Bryce. I think we actually yeah. agreed at a 7.5 around I think here. So too. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about Solus? How does he keep getting to these top eights? And why does every other player that VOD reviewed have so many inflammatory things to say about his gameplay? Okay. One, he is always doing because he's the god of TFT. We already established this. We know <laughs> that it's done, right? So that's how he's always there on the final day. And then why do some people <laughs> value him highly? I actually, I messaged Asa after his VOD review with Solus because I really respect Asa's opinion about the game. And he put it very simply in a way that I love, which is shaky fundamentals, great ideas. And there are things about the way in which Solus approaches a game of TFT that I just really enjoy. And he thinks about a lot of things that some people aren't thinking about at all. And like watching, even watching back his VOD review with Asa was super fun because <laughs> he would ask about things that Asa wasn't even paying attention to. He'd be like, it'd be like a stage two fight or three fight. And he'd go, what do you think about my positioning here? And Asa's like, I don't know, like it's, you know, whatever. I'll go back and watch. And then so, so Solus would like talk him through why he did it the way he did and it's like damn that's pretty clean solace like i see you so yeah i mean look he makes mis he makes mistakes that like anyone can point out but he also does a half dozen things or more over the course of six a six game tournament day that no one in the field is doing that is good good tft oh yeah yeah solos misses the trees for the forest you know what i mean like he's look mm -hmm. he's always looking so much big brain 
picture than than what we can us mere mortals could fathom um but you know actually in a more serious note i think one thing that another person said, I think it was Nature's, perhaps, is a person who's been watching Solus for a long time since set one, saying that he felt like Solus recognizes spots very well and, more importantly, understands how to come out on the favorable side of, like, a lucky outcome or a high roll situation. Uh, and it feels like Solus is really opportunistic in that sense. And I think that works out really great for tournaments in particular because mm -hmm. this man puts himself in situations that I don't feel like I would ever even be able to get into that spot. You know, and, and we'll show you an example of it later on because what we did uh, before the show was compile some highlights and lowlights uh, that we'll, we'll show later on and, and Solus is having an appearance there. So we'll talk about that a little bit. All right, let's talk about Pocky and Bird, the eights. So Pocky comes into this tournament. You know, it's like his first tournament. I mean, he, he did play the previous weekend and put on quite a show, but he's kind of memeing around. I wasn't sure what version of Pocky was going to come this weekend. And then all of a sudden, he's winning with Hecarim 3 Deathcap Carry. 2K doing all entire field, right? He's playing AD Sona 3 with, like, Rudin's Last Whisper. And he's winning lobbies. And more importantly, he's having fun and laughing and smiling and pretty much, like, kind of borderline trolling. And sneaks his way into the top 8 at the very last second as well. I just I feel like if Pocky took it seriously and said like okay like hard sweat I'm gonna try like I don't care if I'm contest I'll play the good meta stuff this could easily be like 8.59 and just could put himself up there I just gotta say that I'm just so impressed whenever I watch Pocky play and there's few players that I have more fun watching when he's having fun on stream totally and when is he not having fun on stream by the way isn't he always having a good time no matter the stakes right we didn't get to see. I'm trying to remember what his reaction was when he, like, sin spat at the Callista at regionals and kind of threw regionals. Oh, no, I feel this like story was... again? Bryce, we like talked about it, like, half a dozen times. I know, but I feel like he's probably laughing about it. He's in... He is such a fun-loving human being, and he, is... he enjoys TFT so much that I'm, like, trying to pick the worst moment of his career, and I'm just picturing him with, like, a shitty ingredient on his face being like, we tried. Like, you know, unlucky. Go next. Like, uh, we learned, and we'll, and we'll, you know, do something different another time. It cost time. him a so... world spot. Yeah, I know, but I, I actually think if anyone can take that on the chin, it's Pocky. Like, most people yeah, would be very true. upset at that situation, and I think Pocky just loves life, loves the game, and he just, it's he is, he's so fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think Pocky is back. He's put everybody else on notice. A lot of people didn't even rank him anymore, right? He is very much in there in the mix. And you know that this, this guy is really good because every time, like, Soju and... Kiyu and all them like we're talking about some of the best players they always bring up like what about Pocky I'm no one's talking about this guy he's yeah. so good actually that's that bridges perfectly into the other person in the eight club Birdosaurus a mm -hmm. player that I had going into the tournament rank number one and I don't feel wrong about it this guy no. really pulled some rabbits out of hats he did I think the most creative board was he was playing a shimmer scale line and instead of going vertical shimmer scale he slowly peeled off and played like Guardian Dragon Mancer Nico with three Dragon Mancer, three Shimmer Scale, three Rage Wing carrying Zaya and uh, Swain, and just doing like all kinds of weird stuff. And that just feels like exactly what Burst Alley is. He just kind of mm -hmm. sees the avenue. And, and what makes this impressive is that he was at like six HP. This dude, I was like, he's bought for. Like, this is a really brutal way. Like, he's doing his best. And Saliba surely made this insane comeback. And I think that was a game that really defined what makes Bird a special player. 
Yeah, I, I had the exact same game flag. I wrote down his final board. It was Itis, Nico, Ash, Hecarim, Swain, Zaya, and Anivia, which wanted to be Soraka, but he never got the Soraka. And it was a sick board. It was an awesome game. It was Burt at his best. I think the following game was really interesting flip side of that coin because the following game he plays really flexibly as well. He slams an early mage spat on a jade board because he has Zoe. And then he pivots to a quirky Zyphon. He, like, he plays this totally, like, jade-constructed board, deconstructs the whole thing, and builds, like, a more standard Siphon Mage board. But the thing is, the items he had slammed, he didn't really have a true backline carry. And so he was very frustrated with that game. He wound up taking a six, and it felt, he said everyone in the lobby is just slightly stronger than me. And I think that is what happened. But I think that the pieces he was trying to put together really didn't actually fit. I'm not sure what pieces he could have put together, but it was pretty clear to me when he was going to the line. I was like, I feel like this board, even if you hit, isn't going to be good enough. And then he hit, and he went sixth. He, like, lost yeah. almost every fight. So it's, a, it's the double-edged sword. Uh, he also, you know, lost to Krugs in this event. So there's only so high <laughs> that we, yes. there's only so high we, we can put this man. But he I, was very impressive. Yes, I, I wanted to rank him higher, but unfortunately, yeah. he made a decision that made me feel like I couldn't put him a little bit higher. Losing to Krugs, I mean, it, it happens to everybody, but just it does. doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to everybody in tournament. <laughs> yes, his first time chat. He's <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Oh, the other thing I want to say because we're not picking the spot, Bert. Go back and watch your game one spot, buddy, on day four. That when you lose to Krugs, I'm pretty sure it was a Swain pivot. You had two oh, Swains yes. with, with both tier. Uh, I'm very insistent that it was a Swain pivot this game and that you were not supposed to commit to newly reroll with your with no astral ticks whatsoever. Those items and two Nidalees, only two copies of Nidalee. I think you were like, even if you hit Nidalee there, you're most of the time going to hit it at like zero gold, fall behind tempo, and it's just doomed. Okay, Whereas what if Swain, you can actually, huh? What if he beat Krugs that game though? Yeah, I mean, I think he still goes eighth to be honest, but. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but he would have gone eighth without losing the Krugs. Socks asked, "Where's Krugs on this list? It should be an eight point five. That's a snub. That's a snub. We'll include Krugs. Agree. Next rating or next rating rather. Rate, ratings versus rank. We got to make that differentiation. All right, New Bowel. So New Bowel, I think had very quietly one of the best weekends out there. And it's reflecting the fact that I put him in the top five. I, I think New Bowel put some really interesting tech out there. I think." I mean, I, where to start? For one thing, this dude played Mage Cap Talon, and it was popping Which? off. It was like Mage Cap Talon, because the thing is, he had two of them. He had one on Sona, and he and, and then he had the option to play Siphon. He had the option to put Mage Emblem on Siphon, and he didn't. And I was like, this guy gets it, because I'm just not convinced that Mage Siphon is a real thing. China does it, and I'm just like, you guys are trolling. You guys are actively yeah. baiting the fact that other reasons are watching you now. Mage Siphon is not it. It's so inconsistent, and it feels even more RNG than Siphon can sometimes feel than before. So he puts Mage Cap on Talon. Talon's popping off. It's like jumping twice, but the, but he, he like leans so well into his augments. It's just very, very intelligent. He, he just so and Nubao just does a lot of really interesting stuff. He was playing like five Cavalier Corky two carry, and it was because he was low rolling that he that he pulled himself and didn't go eight. Like he rolled to zero at three five or three six, tried to find like a Nunu two, which he had a pair of Nunu since like two one or something or two two, and he just missed right. So like he he he's at zero gold level six at, at the end of stage three, and somehow does not go eight by playing some really weird stuff. I think Newbell really showed a lot of the hype that 
Goobums and Setsuko and, and Spencer, like that camp of players. I've always talked about how great Nubao is for a long time. And I really saw some of the greatness this week. And even though it didn't result in a tournament win, I mean, you saw... And I think people will focus on like his Siphon 3 game. I mean, that was just Pandora's yeah. bench being Pandora's bench. But I mean, what a crazy way to wrap it up too. Both him and Pakigam went like second and first to get into that topic, kicking out Milk and Goobums. Really impressive stuff. And finally, I guess luck fell his way a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I didn't study Nubal deeply, but I really enjoyed what I watched. I thought he was looking good going into the tournament. Um, and I'm really happy for him. I'm so happy for everyone, like Nubal playing, Burt being back and playing really well. feels like the Young Guns are back with a vengeance this set, and it's going to be really, really scary. I mean, fuck, Goobins is furious with being ranked fourth and getting an 8.5. So Not even, tie for third. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know they are hungry, and I would, I, I want Nubal to. Can we unquit Nubal? Is that available to us? Can you just play all? I know you said you were only gonna play like LCQ and then regionals if you make it, but can you? How about you just play everything instead? <laughs> I think maybe that's where the sweet spot is, right? Like if he's just enjoying it and playing casually, um, I think that may, that might work in his benefit. Yeah. Who knows? Might be like yeah. kind of like socks, you know, can still perform well even while juggling life responsibilities. Plus, maybe Nubal coming back inadvertently takes pressure off of Setsuko because when Nubal kind of semi-took a step back, Setsuko kind of picked up that mantle um, and about, like, the amazing player who struggles in tourneys. So, Nubal, maybe you just got to, like, fall on your sword for your boy Kevin here. Oh, he said he's going to flake Jacob or he's thinking about it. That's disappointing. But either way, I think you've done enough to kind of show us a lot of you know what everyone knows you're capable of so that was a great weekend man we should be very proud do you want to talk about goobums do you want to skip him to troll him bryce i'm down either way i <laughs> i defer to your to your infinite wisdom all right how about you briefly summarize goobums this weekend since he was chatting with you a lot primarily yeah i i had him at a nine i thought he played the best i thought i had him basically tied with milk i thought he played really good tft i didn't see a ton of i didn't see any egregious errors i think he kind of mid-rolled uh if he gets a knock it's that he's back to being a one trick this dude was playing so much quirky yeah. and and flex play was good we saw people doing well playing flex but no this man was just playing quirky but he plays it really well he really 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 understood the quirky tree I think it's a summary of it. I think what it was was uh, we round down, generally speaking. So I gave him 8.5, Bryce gave him 9. Instead of like 8.7, maybe we should probably add the 8.75s. We'll see. But again, it depends on how people are receiving, uh, perceiving some of these ratings. But again, they're just impressions. Overall, a fantastic weekend for Goobums, even though he narrowly missed it on top eight. He should be very proud, too. Uh, a player that I think a lot of people were really happy to see do well was Asa. I think Asa has clearly put a lot of time and effort and thoughtfulness into his TFT career so far. And he still had a lot left to be desired from 6.5 because there was so much hype coming from set 6, right? 6, he was dominant. He was doing super well. And then mm -hmm. going to 6.5 just felt like a little bit of a throw uh, into his, his, his results. And then all of a sudden, coming to set 7, it felt like his journey was slow on the upstart right like he he was hard stuck at masters for a while said like this is embarrassing i'm gonna quit my stream until i can get to a higher rank and then boom like two and a half weeks later this man's rank like rank two threatening rank one finally hits rank one and puts on a really good series of performances i think most importantly aces mental fortitude really shown uh this mm -hmm. tournament i think there was a lot of time a lot of spots that were super tough 
and he was able to navigate them very intelligently and calmly and came out on the other side rewarded for it. Um, and I think that that is what caught my eye the most. I think the comeback where he was playing Corky Jades in a situation where he was not angling for either. <laughs> he was trying to play something else yeah. entirely. I think he was trying to play Zaya, but then finds, you know, COU in a contested Jade lobby, finds Corky, like, okay, I just got him to play it, I guess. And then just like slowly but surely pieces his way back from what should be like an eighth place or seventh place i was i was telling him i'm like man this is doomed his chat was like this is doomed and he brings it back and wins out and then also you know later that day puts on like a very unusual build different double trouble board just first time i've ever seen that that's just a lot of really cool stuff i think ace had played some great tft this past weekend yeah, I agree. I thought the Corky comeback was really, really good. I thought he had a lot of clean positioning. Very, very few, like, large mistakes, if any. Uh, I, the built different game actually felt totally free to me. I, I mean, he took a different line on it than I think a lot of people would. He played around the three costs of Olibear and the and the Lee Sin, and I think he sold the Lee for the Yasuo pair, but pretty sure built different. When you're high roll built different early and you streak and then you streak into double trouble, it's just an illegal combination. <laughs> like that is that feels basically unleasable because you want to play two copies of good stuff anyway. So all of a sudden your units are just completely overloaded with stats. It was it was a gold it was a gold augment lobby, right? But if he had had those uh, in a prismatic lobby, he still wins the lobby. That combination of augments was just so strong from his spot. All right. I, I see a lot of people flaming it. I, I'm saying that I don't see anybody else really building out those kinds of versions of boards, and I think it's really cool, and I think it's impressive. Like, I know that a lot of people would be like, well, give that spot to anybody, and they would go first. I just don't think that's true. I just don't think that's true. I think maybe a few people, especially the ones who are really active in chat, could probably convert those into first, but not every player could. And they wouldn't do it in that way either. He showed us a different way that you could approach it, that I think is fascinating, right? Most people don't think about rerolling Volibear in that spot. Like, just nobody. No one, not a single yeah. person on stream, on Reddit, on Twitter, in Discord ever mentioned the possibility of putting this kind of combination of board together. And I think it's just like, yes, Double Trouble is that strong, but I also think he crafted that board in an intelligent way and capitalized yeah. on it. And I think he, that's he okay. High and he showed really good instincts for the game during the high roll. They can both be true. Yeah, yes, yes. And I think that is fine and should be, I think, recognized for it. Let's talk about Milk. Uh, Milk, I think, very quietly put on an amazing... Well, not very quietly. I think he put on an amazing weekend and very loudly went out kicking and screaming on the tiebreakers. Like, come on. I can't believe he missed out. But the reason why it's quiet is because it's very subtle how those things kind of work, right? Like, if, if it was one point in almost any way. Whether I could put it point throughout the regular days of competition, whether you got the extra point at the very end of day three, whether he was able to get a point to squeeze out to make it to that top eight. I personally think Milk was top two in this tournament, and I think is reflected on his average placement. I think he might have even had the highest EVP. I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me on that, but easily one of the best performances of the weekend that wasn't rewarded based off tiebreakers, which is a little bit unfortunate. But the best part about it was I got to use Milk's results to semi-flame Mortdog. Not really flame him, just more like troll him on broadcast. So that was the highlight of my casting this weekend where I got to stick it to Mort a little bit. <laughs> Love it. I love it because you know Mort doesn't have enough people sticking it to him. I'm glad we can get some <laughs> well, when, Mort, it, if we're if you're listening, big hugs, buddy. Thank you for the the hot fix, and we appreciate everything you're we, doing. We love Mort so much. It's just it was fun to also be able to to play both sides there. 
All right, socks, and then we'll rack up the segment and show what's, what we got next. Uh, socks is in peak form. I mean, he just showed some really good stuff. The only thing that I think that stopped us from going from 10.0 was that he did feel like on day three, there were some shaky moments where it's just like, ah, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I can totally see why he made some decisions on day three, but it did feel like it wasn't the most perfect weekend. And that is what's stopping us from a 10.0. Yeah, but damn, was he clean on day four. He played some really, really, really good TFT on, on day four. There's like one spot from all of his games. We're actually going to talk about it later, but uh, he's... I said, I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised. I could tell looking at the way he approached the early set. Sox is back, baby, and man, is that fun. Yeah, yeah. And I think he was even saying, like, towards the end of – he's typing in chat right now. I think he was just saying, yeah. like, he was a little bit fatigued and, yeah, just, like, didn't want to even really be there. I remember him saying, like, look, he was kind of checked out, but he was already qualified because he was doing so well. Um, his day four was phenomenal. His VODs are still up, so you should go check watch them, and I think it would be – very enlightening to show you how little you are thinking about the set. I think he really, <laughs> yeah, showed, yeah. he really shows deep, deep understanding of what really makes things good and how to interchangeably mix them around. And they're just like, it, 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 and, and it's what's really, what's really obnoxious about watching Sox is it all makes sense when you see him yeah. do it, but you wouldn't think of it if you're in that spot. Um, yeah, Sox is Sox is so good. He's back to being peak peak-ish form Sox, I would say, that this man put fucking redemption on a Sona on the main broadcast. Oh, and Dan yeah. and I Dan and I did not feel comfortable flaming him. We were like, that seems oh. so stupid, but it's Sox yeah. and he's in pretty peak form, so there's probably a reason. I don't know what the hell is happening right now, <laughs> but there must be a reason. And then afterwards people told me like, Gek, he just misclicked. It's like, yeah, oh god. Yeah. All right, well, this is our first edition of the ratings. Next event after Jade Cup, we're going to see more players. Hopefully, we can even add more names and just see how this heat map comes to, continues to fill out throughout the set. And I, I'm looking forward to see, you know, how these tournaments will, will look after a few of them. That brings us to our third segment. We're a little over halfway of the show. This is a segment we're calling Wood Level Here. Another name, the unofficial name would be WWE. BD. We're going to present some spots from the tournament and just kind of talk a little bit about what would you do here? What's the play? And so the first one that we have, and this is Bryce curated, is a spot from, I believe, Malala. Uh, Malala is a player. Actually, we didn't actually even talk much about Malala. This is a really good opportunity. We gave uh, them a 7.5. Uh, Bryce, why don't you actually take from here and lead most of this segment, since these are the plays that you curated. Yeah, sounds good. We didn't talk about Malala, and I'm sad we didn't, because I had him at an 8. I thought he played really good TFT. I thought of all of the like lesser-known players that I studied, he was the most impressive. He had a number of really cool lines and spots, showed good instincts for the game, playing relatively wide. I'm ex- He's done well in tournaments past, but this is the first time I've ever studied him, and I'm excited to study him in the future. So I think he's yeah. I think he's an up-and-comer that we need to keep our eyes on. All right, so let's talk. Let's just you know spend like three to four minutes on each of these if we can. So the spot is three two presented augments. Bryce, we know Malala takes weak spot here, but you oh, think don't don't strong... don't say it. Don't spoil. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the segment. I want to let. Damn it, right. Dan. Why don't you? Okay. Why don't you leave the segment? It's your it's your it's your, it's your part of the show. <laughs> okay, so chat. The question on this one is: What augment would you pick? Uh, 
it, it's a little blurry. Apologies if you're if you can't tell. He's got a sword on the bench, and he's got an IE and a radiant bloodthirster slammed on that Varus. He has also got a Alawi two with a uh, gargoyle, um, and he, you know, little, mild spoiler, right? I'm, I, but I'm curious. <laughs> I am curious how many of you take Recombob here, but not ironically, not for content. Like, actually, think it's Recombob because I'm pretty sure this is a Recombob angle. He's got, he's got, he can put the extra Varus in, so he he will have three rolls at a four cost, including one two-star four cost. He's got a duplicator, he's got insane items for it, and right now he's Varus lean, but he's Varus lean with no bows, which feels very sush to me. So, when I saw this, I thought, oh, Pog is going to be a recombob game, and he didn't. He winds up taking weak spot. So, but... Oh, we're supposed to do a chat poll for this. Oh, okay, okay. Too we'll do a now. chat we'll poll for the next one. one. Okay. Next, yeah, yeah. If we're new to this... We yeah, don't have yeah. mods. Wait, is Beach still here? If you are, do a poll maybe for next one. But weak spot, I just want to say, is one, super good. Especially if yes. you don't have anti-heal in your composition. And yep. two, Malala ended up doing well, well this game anyways. And I think that's what makes TFT really fascinating. Because I think most people would look at this spot and say, look, well, yeah, like take Recombibulator. I think Bryce made a compelling case. A lot of challenger top players are saying Recombibulator. Yeah, why not? <laughs> weak spot also found success. I think Malala finished second here. So the question would be, did Malala leave that first place on the table? And I think we agree that he did. Uh, that it was it was game was very it, much there. It was game number two, Sox. So it was not a stage where he can actually, uh, where he can actually, um, like get, you know, say he doesn't need the points. Right? It's early on. I think points accumulation, especially in this format, playing a little bit first to eight felt good because you need to get in the top eight. Fair enough. And yeah, this game really works out for him, by the way. He takes weak spot, he commits to Varus, he hits on curve. He actually goes no bow Varus. He goes these two items plus Deathblade, and then he he gets a Zeke's off of Treasure Dragon, and it has like enough attack speed and hits like a truck. So it winds, it winds up going very well for him. But I felt like this was a recombob angle, personally. Okay, all right. So that was our first. We have three prepared. Here is Exhibit B. Featuring mismatched socks, Bryce. Okay, so I think we're, this is in two parts, right? So, and they're oh, both. Oh, you're right. You're they're right. both augment selections. So this okay. is Socks's fourth game on day three. Oh, this is. Uh, uh, I mean, we need the clip, the clip first. first right? okay, yeah, right, the clip first. So let's look at let's look at his three two, and then we're gonna look at his four one augments. Or four two, three two four two. So this is three two. He's presented Guardian Crown, Verdant Veil, or like New Recruit, and he's he gonna is, scout. He's gonna scout, which is why this is a uh, a clip as opposed to just a screenshot, so you can see the other board strength. Right, and he's, he's a lot of HP. He seems to be doing well. It's gonna be late. He chooses Verdant Veil, and Bryce, you said that he said Verdant Veil because he felt like it was really good late game that he was scaling to it. But yeah. it we gotta, completely sacrificed his tempo, right? Yeah, yeah. We got to stop spo spoiling the selection, but I guess like, I clipped it longer. So, um, yes, he, he takes he takes Verdant Veil because he says, this is a broken Augment and it is broken in the late game. But I was, so for what's worth, I was watching this live and kind of talking to Dan. I was like, wow, spot, Sox's spot is disgusting. It's it's guaranteed top two. It's like there's no way. And I think he kind of throws this game low key. So, so he takes Verdant Veil here. I, I think it's new recruit or it's reroll, but I I do not like Verdant Vale from here. He scouts around, he sees that it's getting no value right now. He's that's literally what he is saying out loud. It's like this is no value, so let's just uh, let's just cop 
it anyway because it is going to scale so well into the late game. Okay, okay. Again, I, I, sorry about this. I'm kind of okay. new to it. It's all good. It's all good. Now we're, 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 we're get to a out. point where Bryce can run the segment as planned. Take it away. Okay, all right. So the question is now, what is the play from his 4-2 augment spot? You can see his board state. He's down at 65 HP because he's lost a meaningful amount of tempo from taking Vernon Veil, so everyone else prismatic spiked when he really didn't. He's offered Curse Crown, Revel Crown, Evoker Crown, and he still has his reroll left open. So if we can get a quick poll in the chat, I would be very curious for people's thoughts in the chat. Dan, as you're thinking through this spot, how are you? Or do you? What do you think is the consideration here uh, of of these three options or four options? I guess three okay. choices plus a reroll. So Evoker Crown. Yeah. Oh, reroll. Reroll should be an option, Kana. If yes, it's not, re reroll should be an option. Yeah, yeah. Well. We, we, let's let's re do do it really fast and just do reroll as an option. Yeah. So Revel Crown in general feels like it's just more of an early win streak that you can build into it. Static shift this late into the game feels like it's much lower impact. Evoker uh, Crown. I just don't even know how to use Evoker very effectively outside of, like, cheese strategies, right? Like, you put, like, Evoker Rise, but you get Rise early and you snowball it, right? Like, that's the only way that I know how to make Evokers really good. So, I don't I don't blame Socks for taking it. Curse Crown is particularly interesting because I can't tell you how many times I've seen people take Curse Crown and everything looks really good. And then two rounds later, they're dead. I was in a lobby with Darth Noob the other day. And Darth Noob was, like, 92 HP going to 4-1. Yeah with curse crown and he was dead by four three <laughs> i didn't even yeah. I, it was so crazy i was like wait what what just happened because he missed on his his roll down he actually didn't have anything of substance so i i would reroll here is my personal belief of mm -hmm. like i don't think any of these options seem ideal maybe curse crown if socks is feeling extra spicy and i think curse crown has a high skill cap like you have to really understand what makes board strong um that being said i'd probably reroll because i'm a wuss yeah, I would reroll this for sure. Um, I I think the fact that he has ten gold is a huge um, is a huge impact on this because I think that from ten gold pivoting to a board that makes Revel Crown strong is super unlikely from here. It's a crazy pivot across. He has no gold to work with. I just think that is a really really hard line and taking a shiv with this board state just doesn't feel like it's big enough impact um so i just i, I just don't think that, like the shiv value pushes it over for me so i, I would re-roll this personally but i i liked the in comparison to these two decisions i really disagree with the Vern veil pick this one i can see i mean I, the, the, again these spots are not necessarily the person did it wrong it's just it's an interesting spot to look at and and see what people think so it looks yeah. like re-roll won the poll Revel Crown was second. No one really seriously considered a Curse Crown or Evoker, which seems right to me. Yep. And the answer was a Revel Crown, which I think Sox revealed in chat as well. Mm -hmm. uh, which, again, I think to Sox's credit, not the worst pick, but definitely no. nothing great. And he ended up getting fourth that game, but I think from a position that Bryce is saying, he probably could have done it better. And Sox even said yeah. he misplayed. Yeah. I think if you ran this game back, Sox goes top two like almost every time. Yep. All right. That brings us to our last. Uh, exhibit that we have the example it's from dace who actually previewed a little bit of it in chat bryce take it away okay so we're going to be looking at dace's three two spot um this one is harder to do a poll prediction on because it's not augments we need to think about that a little bit more um but he's he's scouting around looking at his opponent board strength he sees a varus 
uh, Varus 2 there with Ginsu's and Last Whisper. He sees one really weak board, Ray Super Weekend, and then he looks at Aniko's board, which is also really strong. Aniko is also 100 HP. He has Ginsu's Rage Blade and a Shiv. He has some upgrade frontline. He's got Jade in. And so Dace is gonna is, is trying to decide how to protect this winning streak with his current board state, Siphon 1. I mean, everything 1 except for Heimer, which is, you know, irrelevant, I think, to this board state. Um, and D he's about to rip it. He's about to go to 7 here. Um, and he goes to seven here and then he loses this fight. And I'm pretty sure he turns like an average placement three this game into an average placement five with this decision. And I'm not just saying it because he lost. It's just, it's such a risky play. And I think he does lose two fights in his pool there. I think he, he lost to the Varus board. And I think he also loses to an Eco's board here. He doesn't have damage. I don't know how this guy expects to win fights against, like, well-constructed boards at this stage. Like, Siphon 1 is not actually getting it done most of the time, unless you get crazy RNG. Yeah, or if your frontline's good enough to stall, right? So then, like, if this Silas was cracked out beyond belief, you could have it cast a couple times. Siphon gets two casts of Rampage, snipes some important units, and all of a sudden you win just by uh, having a snowball advantage. Another thing is that I don't really know how relevant, like, you know, leveling for this Jinx was, right? They didn't even feel, like, particularly super strong. Everyone knows Jinx is more of the disposable unit there. That being said, you know, we've seen some tempo plays from players in the past. What separates this from other tempo plays you've seen people go to seven very quickly, Bryce, and it worked out for them? Okay, I think if you're doing it, you have to have something really good to play, and you have to be... Very, you have to be like 100% you're winning your fights, all your fights in your pool, and you have to be really confident that you are, uh, that, that, uh, like you're spiking, right? Like that it's both adding to your board substantively and that you're gonna win. And I don't think he needs out of these conditions, quite frankly. I don't, I don't think like playing a bruiser here, playing, playing a random TK here really does much of anything. Yeah. Um, and he loses one fight, I'm pretty sure he loses uh, two out of the three fights. So this is like, I mean, the funny thing is, what the the question is, what would be, what would Bebe do here? Right, is the name of the segment. <laughs> what would Bebe do? Here. Bebe would level here. Would. <laughs> and 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 Milk would do a TikTok about it, being like, "Yo, bro, like, no flame, but actually, there is no fucking way this is a level." And then, and, 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 and then you know, we we've seen the story before. Milk winds up in jail. I have to bail him out. It's just brutal. That's right. That's right. I do want to add one more piece of context. And again, we're we're, we're figuring out how to do this segment properly. So I think next time. We'll have a little bit more prepared. Uh, Dace also did level to six before Krugs as mm -hmm. well. So he's, I think in his mindset, to his defense, was thinking, I'm playing a tempo line. I know I'm probably playing more for top four than top one in this situation. It just completely blew up in his face. And I think this is a little bit of a precaution to people who might be getting these kinds of ideas in tournaments moving forward. Just be very, very cautious with that. I think I think thinking of this play as playing for top four is the is the snake oil that people get sold. Like it's so funny the, the fact that Bebe described milk as a noob trap because in many ways I don't think milk is a noob trap. I think Bebe is a noob trap. Not that I think Bebe is bad. I think Bebe is very good at the game, but I see bad players watch Bebe and do this stuff all the time because oftentimes Bebe does it when it's incorrect. Like when Milk pointed out that level on two one where it was just for sure wrong. Right, and so oh. I, I think that the the actual top four play here is just to say it doesn't matter if I'm streaking anymore. I've already had a great early game. I'm in. I have an early siphon. And I'm in a great spot. That's how you. That's how you play for top four here. Pushing this level is actually much more of a first rate play and is not correct. 
I love it. I love it. I'm going to be the one bailing Bryce, and Bryce is going to be the one sitting next to Milk saying, that was awesome, in the prison cell. <laughs> Milk, as long uh, as we have good, good internet, <laughs> they'll all hang out with you. All right. There we go. Man, my cheeks are hurting from smiling so much. All right. Well, let's bring us to our final segment of the show before we wrap it up. It's a segment I'm calling Pog or frog is the play something that was uh we're kind of commemorating some of the most pog moments that happened or one that make you feel an emotion that makes you post a pepe in chat so we'll see uh and we have several of them so okay and go ahead are you gonna do the poll you can explain the polling to kana yeah yeah yeah. so we are gonna have chat decide what was the most pog play you're gonna vote in chat and you're also going to vote for which was the most frog play, which will also be determined. And so, which one to start? We'll start with the frogs, right? Start with the frogs. And really fast, we're also going to – your votes are going to matter because we're going to keep the, the biggest frog and the biggest pog from each event. And then we're, for the post-set wrap, we're going to com- have them all competing against each other. So we'll vote for, like, <laughs> the best the best and worst plays of the set we will vote on at the end. This is also a shout out to anyone that watches a bunch of streams, which all of you do, or people playing. If you see fail moments or if you see awesome moments of interesting things happening in game, please clip them and send them to us because right now we're just curious. We asked Dan, asked some people, we did our best to curate from what we saw, but I know we can do even more with the segment if we can actually like like, crowdsource the submissions. Am I I crazy? Is that's what everyone's already spamming it, Chad? Our first candidate, our first finalist for the Frog Award of Astral Cup. Up is Bernasaurus going up against Krug? Slams a hand of justice. Recognizes this is a dire situation. Needs to have more power onto the board. And that nearly is trying so hard, but they turn around with hand of justice. Finally takes out one Krug. That's another drop. I was wondering if he would even go as far as slam the Krug. Oh no! My son. Leave the caster audio said. Putting you, you up no for adoption after that. So Birdosaurus losing to Krugs, maybe waiting for an item in the later games. I'm depressed. Let's go to our second one. <laughs> our now. second one is kind of unusual. It is Solus versus Kratos. Okay. Now, if Wait, you look, there's two Siphon 2 versus an Itis 3 and a Yasu with Diamond Hands. You didn't see what happened, just watch. The audio on the clips are too loud, apparently, Dan, if you can turn down the audio. I love this. Wait. Wait. I can't remember. Did we cast this or did they cast this? They did, they right? We, we were watching. Yeah. It was on. Yeah. Oh. Wait. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dan, Wait. apparently you turned us down, not oh. the clip audio down. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not the audio video guy, but I kind of am. So what ended up happening was Solus ends up tying Kratos because he couldn't kill the Itis 3 because the Siphon 2, one of the Siphon 2s was stuck on Diamond Hands Yasuo and ends up tying and dying both causing both of them to be eliminated in second and third place while Taco Bell, Taco Bell Wi-Fi watches and cruises to an easy first, which I just think is hilarious. I've never seen a tie for second and third and another person just gets a default win. 
Yeah, all things coming up, Taco Bell Wi-Fi on, on day three of the event. He doesn't even fight one of these people and they kill each other. Also, the Archangel on the Itis, so that these shields in overtime are just, like, disgusting. It's, like, beyond the whole health bar. Too good. <laughs> we... All right, all right. The third is a moment that we talked about before. It is Kuramex with when he had at one point 115 gold level nine streaking infinite playing nine shimmer scale versus socks in this game and kurum by all means should have won and we'll roll the clip bro <laughs> fuck I he thinks he's won so he's rolling Wait, You're just watching it back. So wait, sad. I lost. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We're chilling. We are chilling. We are fucking chilling. Oh no, <laughs> bro. Oh, this is when he realizes too, right? He's just saying it's fine. A bunch. I can't hear the <laughs> oh, audio. Oh, I lost this game. Oh man, it's okay. Second is not bad. Okay. Oh, my bad, I guess. Oh. Sag. Sag. All right, so it's pull time. Kane, if you can, put it up. One, two, or three. One being Bert losing to Krugs. Two being Solus tying in Itis three. And uh, and the third would be Kurum's Shimmer Throw versus Socks. Chat gets the vote. Uh, I guess Bryce, do you want to infl like what wh what are you voting for? I have to vote for Kurum because I mean, look, losing to Krugs is pretty bad for sure, but it, it's it doesn't feel nearly as much like a it's just like a stupid mistake that we all make sometimes whereas like actively throwing the game on level 9 from this spot. I mean, this is a what, the screenshot here, this is a 100% win rate, right? Like, you basically can AFK and win. In fact, he might be able to AFK and win from this spot. <laughs> um, and so it was just, it was, it was tough to watch. And we could see it in real time. He didn't, he realized the fight was going badly way way after, I think, because he was so focused on rolling. Everyone's, his whole chat is like, oh, God, not like this. So, yeah, yeah that, that one takes the cake for me. All right, all right. It looks like it's a runaway vote. Chat has 81%. Voted for Kurum to have the most frog play. It's okay. We've all been there. And most importantly, Kurum recognized what he did afterwards. He's like, yeah. oh, I was rolling during that play. That messed it up. And as a result, I cost myself the game. It's okay. It gets the best of us. And I expect Kum to come back in full force for the Jade Cup. Agreed. All right. So this next one, uh, Bryce, can you do me a favor and send this over to Kana beforehand so she has the poll send her the Send her the five so she's got the poll ready? Yes, yes. So we're yes, going to show Kana. them one by one because we have five of them. The first one is a submission from Iniko. Iniko, able to use Zephyr positioning and utilize it for maximum Nidalee backline access uh, against Goobums. So after the edge of Night Prox, the lead goes to the back line. It's a pretty nice play. You know, it's overall just showcasing some cool stuff, some positioning tricks. No, yeah, I'll just do it anyway. Fuck and it. And able to maximize Nidalee efficiency. Actually, might not. 
low-key, this Yasuo is kind of scary. Never mind. All right. No fucking owning. Our no next play is... Robin Sog. Now, everyone says Robin's a little bit on the old side. All right, I'm going to try something crazy. He's going to try something crazy. Sure. Frontline Deja, getting it done. It's looking good, it's looking good. This fucking, this Nico unit. Let's go! Easy! That's an APM diff. Congrats nice job, Robin. <coughs> I love the sub right afterwards. Our next one is socks tie for number Bryce. one. This is kind of predicting socks. I think a lot of people I, right. I weren't even putting socks at number one in terms of the discussion of best player because Setsuko's kind of running away with the ladder in terms of LP. But so why is socks so high? <laughs> put this like what, what, what's putting him so you know no up idea. there in a lot of players' minds when they're voting? I don't even think this is close. I think if there were a, a tournament held tomorrow with 500 games played, which is the prompt that we use, that Socks would finish significantly ahead of Setsuko. I think there's a very big gap there, if I'm being honest. I think that if a lot of newer TFT fans don't know how good Socks is, because it's been basically three sets since he was really in peak form. I mean, I remember when he played, uh, I mean, it's our podcast, we can say, when we played Bang Bros, when he was a Bang Bros one trick, uh, <laughs> Slash Bros, for those of you who want to be the PC version, uh, he, I was, like, personally devastated. I, like, caught things off. Setsuko and Socks. All right. High for number Our fourth is Socks, able to use a frontline shield Yululu combination to get <laughs> to the back line. Nico Nico's going to buff this show uh, you. He's going to go straight to the back line. If Nico, if Nico gets hit, he buffs you. Show you one shot the backline. Exactly. Let's fucking go. That's a positioning gap. I am so good. Yeah, this is so clean. Holy! My mental is beyond blessed right now. My mental is beyond blessed right now. This play, holy! And our fifth is Asa, able to manipulate Siphon positioning for a really close victory. What I really like about that Ace of play in particular was that's not how you position Jays normally, right? Everyone clumps up and tries to surround the Jade statue, just doing some really interesting stuff overall uh, to make sure to get that win. So, what will it be for the Pog play? Everybody can vote in chat. They were all badge, no flame. I asked you, Milk, if you had any Pog plays and you don't know all me. You messed up the poll. 
<laughs> one fifth. Threw... Okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry it's about fine. it. It's fine. I don't deserve votes anyway. It's good. Uh, someone threw Robin. Robin got two votes. Go, Robin. I'll, I'll vote for Robin. I'll vote for Robin. I just, I, I feel bad, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised that Sox is so much higher than Asa. I thought that Asa, Asa's play was like roughly equivalent. I thought they were both, the, uh, those were my two favorites. They were both really, really cool. I I'm surprised Asa, Sox is running away with it. Asa and Sox are doing, uh, I had some really cool stuff. I thought Enico's was also pretty cool. Like pretty Yeah, animated. I agree. I think those kinds of things to manipulate positioning as if you're almost controlling the champions on Summoner's Rift are some of the coolest stuff that you can do. Wait, no one explained the Asa play they're saying because... Okay, so what, what Asa did is he bought... Instead of clumping his Jade and allowing the fight to play out where Siphon was going to get access, he essentially created a fight dynamic in which the Siphon was almost never going to get to the Corky until the fight was over. So he clumps his three units in the middle, he puts the Gnar behind it, and he guarantees that the dash is going to go across and then away because he's, there's not, there's no units over there. So it was just really, really under good understanding of Siphon's AI to manipulate the fight. And the fight was super close. It was a positioning diff for sure. That's right. That's right. And I think a lot of people think Siphon is pr like very random and it's like it's really hard to predict, but Asa just predicted it perfectly and manipulated it in a very nice way. But I think a lot of people just see what Sox is doing. I think also like, you know, the this last second shift to shoot you in the corner and placing Lulu up there so you can get the polymorph and the attack speed boost to the Shiyu to get access to the backline. Very clever and just I think overall just shows you what you are potentially missing if you're just saying, I'm going to skip TFT tournaments, just look at the results and make my judgments off of that. You get to see these little small nuggets of wisdom to help elevate your play, especially if you're looking uh, for inspiration. All right, congratulations to Sox and a better luck next time to Kurum. They are our two winners uh, for tonight on this episode of Don't Talk If You Don't Know. And that was our first edition of Pogrifog. We'll work on it, we promise. The audio and also making sure that we have all the polls and stuff adjusted. And that brings us to the conclusion of this episode. The next tournament the next tournament coming up is Jade Cup. Our next episode will be two weeks from now about the Jade Cup. So make sure you guys tune in then. Uh, oh, Jade we can Cup leak who's we can leak who the is on the episode, by the way. Oh, yes. So next episode for Jade Cup, July twenty eighth, the preview leading up to it will be Birdosaurus and Setsuko. They're going to be joining Bryce and myself for Don't Talk If You Don't Know. Bryce, this is where you show your excitement as well. I am very excited for to have Kevin... Sorry, Sox is DMing me about the play. I'm very, very <laughs> excited for uh, for Bert and, and Setsuko to come on. I think it's going to be such a good episode. I'm really excited to get Kevin on before going back. Back, you know, he goes back into the Lions' mouth, as it were. I hope he has a good bounce back, Jade Cup, and I'm so excited to have Bert back. So I think they're going to make for a great episode. I think so as well. So uh, make sure you guys tune in, and then after Jade Cup, I think we're going to try to do a review episode a little bit earlier because the problem is that we're doing review when the new patch drops, and I think a lot of people want to look forward and say, hey. That was last patch. Let's not talk about previous patch of like things that aren't even viable or as much anymore, right? Like how much people are playing a bunch of these X carries that got nerfed. Uh, so we're going to try to do it on Tuesday instead on August 9th and see how that works as that cadence. Um, but yeah, that, that brings us to the end. So let's go ahead and get ready for some final thoughts, Bryce, to wrap up this episode.
a lot of fun. I mean, production kinks notwithstanding, right? We figured we're, we're experimenting with some new segments. We appreciate you pairing with us. But I think the core concept of this show is really good, and I'm excited to do more of the, like, post-game rap ones. I think it's fun to mm-hmm. immediately after a tournament kind of reflect on who did well, who did poorly, and why. That's right. I think, you know, it definitely could use a guest. We want to try a little bit more intimate with just Bryce and myself, but I think having a third person with us will add a lot of depth. I'm sure Goobos totally. would immediately say yes if we asked him to and just start immediately dumping all of his thoughts left and right. I can't wait. But it's been a really good episode. Thank you, everyone who showed up. Thank you, Kana, for modding uh, and Beaches at the beginning. Thanks for Phil for the raid. Uh, and that does it for this episode of Don't Talk If You Don't Know. And we'll see you next time for more TFT action.